Whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships, I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. What's up, everyone? It's Kit and Cynthia back at it again for our third episode. And yesterday, I actually went skydiving, which is something we talked about on our first episode, I believe. About so you us. did it. Yes. We talked about us going together, but I actually... Snuck away without me. Yeah. I'm sorry. I it... went with a boy... And it just means you'll have to go again. <laughs> I sold out and went with actually my ex-boyfriend, which is a whole nother podcast. But I went skydiving yesterday. I went in Isn't, Long Island. There must be some metaphor for that, jumping out of a plane with your ex. Well, one of my best friends told me that she was taking a psychology class in college, and they said, like, when you do those really adrenaline junkie type activities that's like what brings you closer together in a relationship so we'll see how it goes i have heard that maybe that's why we're so close Uh, because we do all that crazy stuff yeah so anyway i went in long island yesterday it was about like a two-hour drive away from the city and there were two people in front of us and two people behind us and they make you go into this little room and sign your life away and check all these boxes on a waiver and put your initials and signature and everything is like I understand that this is a life-threatening activity and the skydiving center has no liability and I could die at any point is basically what the contract said. And then they literally had you record, they recorded you reading the contract aloud, which is also super scary because you have to read aloud. You know, I understand that I could die from doing this, which was honestly the scariest part because we get out to like the, where the, where they have the planes and everything and we suit up and At that point, I was already pretty committed. Like, the nights prior, I genuinely did not get any sleep. I was, like, ODing on CBD oil for two nights to try and sleep, and I was so nervous just, like, picturing myself, like, free-falling. You think you were nervous. I know. (laughs) But we suited up. We got on our gear, And we get into this tiny plane, and the plane was so small, it literally was like the Wright Brothers type of situation. Like, there was one seat for the pilot, and then the rest of the plane was like the size of a Amazon box. And it was just padded, there were no seats or anything. And we go up, it takes about like 10 minutes for us to get in place, and then you hook up to your tandem instructor and my instructor was like do you want to flip when we're free falling and at this point I was like I'm going for it I don't want to have any regrets we're flipping let's do it and I get out and you free fall for about 30 seconds I jump out of the plane and I don't 
remember free falling at all. But then the parachute opens and it's like the fastest 30 seconds of your life. And then you just gracefully float to the ground. And it was pretty sick. The photos are crazy. I'm going to do it. By the time that I got to the ground, I was like, okay, let's just do that again. Like part two, let's go back up. I'll jump out as many times as possible today. I like like our friend's story that she just told us where she pulled up to the skydiving center and there was an ambulance there. And she was like, oh, no, what have I done? Yeah. But it was just a twisted ankle. Yeah, because sometimes when you're, like, landing on the ground, you can, like, easily twist your ankle or whatever. But they said there was, like, 100 people that roll through there every day and skydive. So that made me feel a lot better. And then my instructor was like, I've done this 11,000 times. Like, you're all good. The oldest person I've ever taken skydiving was a 93-year-old woman. And I was like, okay, if she did it, I got to do this. Like, let's get this over with. And he was apparently kind of hot. Yeah, I would would say he was pretty hot. (laughs) So that made me feel a lot better. But now that I know what the experience is like and it's not as scary, my mom and I have to go together because I'm totally down to go again. But this week, we actually got a submission from one of our listeners asking about, you know, how we find inspiration in our lives for design. And I guess the way I think about it is that we have, we're always engaging in these crazy, like, adrenaline junkie type adventures, like surfing and skydiving and you know other risk taking yes exactly and i feel like that type of mentality of risk taking kind of allows us to stay inspired and motivated to do the work that we do for me it's about stepping outside of that box so that you can create a brand identity for yourself when it comes to design Because it's so easy to fall into the trap of just designing what you know is going to sell. And anyone in the industry, I'm sure this is true for you too, it's so easy to design a black t-shirt or like a black dress because you know that's what's going to sell best. You know, your cheapest item and your most simple item is usually what you sell the bulk of. But if you're just making those things, there's not really room to stay true to your vision and expand that vision. And I think that taking risks in our everyday lives can be translated to our professional lives in that way. And like, for example, for me, last year I dropped a collection of hoodies and t-shirts that had this artist Richard Prince's bunny skull. So basically it looks like a playboy bunny, but the face of the bunny is a skull. And all the tees and hoodies had that symbol on it. And like, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But then recently I dropped another artist collab hoodie with this artist named Mark Grochon. And for those, it's sort of like a skull, but it looks like it's painted on. And those sold out in one day, like crazy sales compared to the first drop that I did. And I think that it's just because 
the image, the Mark Grochon image is a little bit less provocative than the original skull Playboy bunny that I did. But at the same time, it's like, I'm so proud of both of those drops that I did. And I think that it helps tell the story of my brand. So I'm not worried about, like I'm willing to take the risk to put out those Richard Prince Playboy hoodies and tees because I know that that creates a vision for my brand where it's like there's this space for me as a designer to collaborate with artists. Well, I think being a risk taker is of the utmost importance if you're an entrepreneur. You have to be able to take risks. If you fail, fail fast. And if not, you just pour some gasoline on that fire and go with it. And so being nimble and taking risks, I think, are really important in being an entrepreneur. But then being a creator is almost, you know, it's sort of similar in a way because there's the boredom factor. And I always say I feel like I'm running in front of the boredom train because I don't want to be bored with my own work that I'm making. And so I need to take risks just for myself. And, and, and that combination of risk management is sort of what, and that, and that sort of balance of art and commerce is what ultimately creates a long lasting brand, I think. And going off of that, it's like you might find a formula that works and sells really well, but that doesn't allow your brand to grow. In order to grow past just like creating a formula and like selling a few simple Well, that just garments. means you're not growing as a person. If you're growing as a person and to have that authenticity in your brand, you're gonna be curious, you're gonna be interested in a lot of different things. And, you know, I think in addition to risk taking and death defying adventures, you know, there the, there's so many other things that can be inspiring. I definitely am inspired by the art world as well. And I think that, you know, or I hope that shows through. But I also think storytelling. And if you're telling the story of your own passions, that's what's going to be most genuine. And so to stay interested and experiment and get out there and do things you've never done before, that's what grows your passion for newness, and then that shows in your work. And and I think storytelling is so important if you're in any creative field. Like, definitely every artist is telling a story, every dancer, every musician, you know, and the same goes for design. It's really, you know, I'm just telling another chapter in the story every every time I put out a collection. It's interesting to think about how storytelling relates to this idea of authenticity, how like it's kind of trendy right now, honestly, to be authentic on social media. But well, all of and, that is just storytelling. And and with that authenticity comes flaws. And to not be afraid to show your flaws, I think is important. 
I outed myself on all my fake plants in my backyard this week on Insta. Yeah, but our backyard <laughs> looks dank, so. <laughs> well, now it does. That's all that matters. I look like hell before that. All right, so another question we got was about, well, for me, it was about balancing having my own business and also being in school. And for you, it's more of like, how do you balance being a designer with all of your responsibilities outside of just like the physical act of designing the clothes, as well as away from work completely like in family life or whatever? Well, for me, I have to separate the two. I can't carry my work home with me. I feel like it's it is a never-ending job and responsibility, and I could spend 24 hours a day thinking about it, doing it, but it's so important if you're going to have a balance in your life is to literally shut down, you know? And there's a lot of ways that I like to do that. I mean, definitely hanging out with you guys, hanging out with friends, but getting in the water for me just gets me way far away from all of my work responsibilities and stress. And and I yeah. think if you have that separation, you're able to come back into work or school and like attack your... Yeah, refresh. Yeah, you know, attack your to-do list with a fresh set of eyes. And I totally agree. Like when we are surfing or in cooking in the kitchen together or those types of things, or we don't have... jumping out of planes. Yeah, or jumping out of planes. <laughs> we don't have our phones. We can't be answering emails. So that's, I think, that division between work and... Play? Well, yeah, I wouldn't. I was gonna say chill time, but that we definitely don't play. have yeah. chill time. No such thing as um, relax in our house. Yeah, so I think that's a a big part of balance is actually not trying to continuously work twenty four seven, and then. And I'm, I also think there's a million different ways that you can relax. Like everyone relaxes in their own way, and. You know, my idea of relaxing is like riding a bike and water skiing and or or snow skiing and surfing. And I like a lot of activity, and that's how I relax. I just, if I say, okay, I'm just going to sit and read a book today, my mind will go crazy. Straight back to work. Straight back to work. Yeah. I definitely realized I was becoming an adult when I was when I figured out, wow, my to-do list never all gets crossed off. You know, like there's always stuff I could be adding to it. And that's totally I mean, we both do this. My mom has on her desk at work, it's fully covered with post-it notes cuz that's how she writes her to-do list is just to like write post-its and just scatter them on her desk which like stresses me out. I have everything in the calendar app on my phone and I like get reminders and it's like I have to have it on each day and each time and like the location all set out, but I think everyone has like a different method of 
organizing their responsibilities and you just have to figure out what works for you. I I just don't get the same satisfaction from deleting something on my on my to-do list on my phone or my laptop as I do from crushing up that post-it note and oh, yes. dunking it in the trash can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I totally get that. It's sort of funny, though. I have to say I see what a lot of times when we have interns that are younger, the idea of, you know, writing everything down or keeping track of things like that is like a new, it's like a new idea. And I have to keep saying, you know, get yourself whatever form of note taking you prefer and get that and just constantly put everything down, you know, and it, it is like a, I guess, like a grown up thing that you start to realize like, oh, now this is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to organize that and keep track of it? Yeah. And I like to have like, I like to have everything on my phone in my calendar app. But then I also have a notebook where I'll write to-do list just so that I can have the satisfaction of like crossing something off or checking something off. And then I also have a notebook so that I can like write down creative ideas because I think that's like the best way to just get it out of my head. And my mom totally cursed me with this, but we both get these surges of creativity while we're sleeping. And so we both sleep with notebooks like next to our bed so that we can wake Wait, up. You and said, it sounded like you said next to our bed, like we're in the same bed. <laughs> no, let's Beds, just make that clear. Beds. Plural. Um, rooms. Different rooms. Yeah. Um, we have notebooks like on our bedside tables um, <laughs> so that we can like wake up in the middle of the night and write down all of those things. So what are other ways that you stay productive? I mean, productivity is never, that's never an issue. It's, um, you know, the ideas are never, there's never a shortage of ideas. And I do think that's something that people always ask, you know, if you do a panel or a Q&A, people always ask, like, what if someone steals your idea? And I'm like, take it. I have, like, thousands more. You know, I think that that's like a little bit something that you have to learn too, is that if you have an idea, you need to act on it quickly, put it out there because chances are in the cultural zeitgeist or the intellectual zeitgeist, other people are having that idea too. So if you have it, put it out there. If not, forget about it, move on, have a million more ideas. Don't dwell on that one idea and think like, oh, someday, you know, it's like, just do it or don't do it and move on to the next because you're going to have a million other great ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's such like a debated thing. It brings up the conversation on like copyright and all of that stuff. I think that's another podcast. We need professionals for that. Yeah, we we definitely (laughs) do. But I think that We're living in a time when everything is so easily shared on social media or, you know, on the internet in other ways. So I think that 
it's hard to hold on for dear life to an idea for long because if you share anything, it can be seen and reshared by e- everyone. So at the end of the day, it's like if someone steals your idea and they're more successful because they stole it, they probably were doing something right and they were doing something different and maybe better than you were doing. Well, also it's so, a time where idea every like there's so much information. It's so easy to do things. I think it's never been a better time to start a company, put your ideas out there, make it happen. It's just a really to me like a really free kind of very uh, fertile ground for starting new things. So I think, you know, the more ideas, the better. Has anyone ever tried to steal your idea? Like a million times. I mean, sometimes we send a letter. The thing that I will say about copyright versus patent versus, you know, somebody just taking something that you did and copying it with prints, with our prints on our fabric, you can't really take those. They have to be changed by someone, by the thief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to change it a certain percentage so that it looks very different. Otherwise, you can seek legal help for that. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I think it's a compliment if somebody steals something that we're, we've already put out there. You know, just try not to dwell on it. Just, you know, let it go. And then, yeah, I mean, you can totally think about it as a compliment. Like, if you think about the brands that get knocked off the most, those are the biggest, most successful brands. Yeah, exactly. I remember the first time I saw counterfeit Cynthia Raleigh t shirts, and I was like, cool, this is, I feel so important. Right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like seeing your stuff, you know, at, a consignment store or something. It's like, wow, somebody loved this piece so much and thought it had enough value to then pass it on to somebody else. Yeah. Well, I do have one patent, which you can't really, that's that's like the strictest laws. But my patent is for a flask bangle that I used to joke around like, oh, like at Gigi's parent-teacher conferences or her school plays or something, I would joke around like, too bad I don't have my flask bangle with me because I would be having a little nip right now. And then one day I was like, you know what? I could just make this. Like that, I have to say, just as an aside, being able to have an idea and then being able to actually make it and make it a reality is the greatest satisfaction I ever have. So I made the flask bangle and then I was like, you know what? This is kind of a genius idea if I do say so myself. Actually, necessity as the mother of invention would be more appropriate. And so I filed for a US patent and I actually got it. But a lot of people have stolen that. But what am I going to do? I know that I have the patent and I think it's kind of funny that It's not life-saving, but it's definitely maybe makes people's lives better in some cases. So 
the other day we were talking about the movie Joy, about the woman who invented the miracle mop and sold like a bunch of them. And so we're always thinking about like this fact that we, I mean, we could have an idea and just make a bunch of them and like go on a a late night TV show and like sell them all. It's such a funny idea. I think she was on like QVC or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know. It's like just such a funny thing that that could happen to anyone. If you have an idea, do it. Send your inventions to yeah. 1-800. <laughs> um, well, we started this episode with you, Scott, describing your skydiving. So I feel compelled to tell my near-death or death-defying experience that happened to me surfing in the Dominican Republic on a big day, way, 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 way out in the water by myself, and big waves crashing down, and there was a big outside wave came and just slammed on me and broke my leash, so that meant I was out there in the middle of the ocean basically floating and trying to keep my head above water as the waves are continuously crashing. Mm-hmm. And Wait, for anyone who doesn't surf, a leash is oh. the cord that attaches the surfboard to your ankle. So if that breaks, which it did in the case, in this case, the board will just fly. It's basically your lifeline because the board is a flotation device. So if you're out there, you better be an amazing swimmer. And like, I guess I can tread water for a pretty long time, but not when you're getting slammed with waves and the riptide is super strong. Anyway, my board came like twirling up onto the beach. And I heard later that you and Gigi were like screaming to daddy. Well, I was freaking out because once you see the board on the shore with the leash broken, you kind of assume that like the The person's out there. (laughs) And if you don't see them in the water and it was a really, really far outside wave. So you couldn't really see where the wave was breaking. Um, And we, didn't see my mom from the shore, so we were my like, "My tiny oh little my head," God. as I gasped for air and tried to stay afloat. And so, what were you thinking? I honestly, after like getting pummeled three or four waves, maybe five, I really and the riptide was so strong; it's sort of notorious there at that beach. That I looked to the beach and I was like, "I'll never make it." I'll never make it. And I looked around and I saw way over across the waves, I saw a guy on a surfboard. So I started screaming and flailing my arms. And I literally had like a thread of strength in me to keep from drowning. And I was yelling, help, help, help. And he I'll I'll never forget how I saw him turn and look and he just like started paddling like a maniac towards me and he got to me and he had a tiny little board and we kind of like he kind of like threw me on his board a little bit like 
halfway, and we both just started paddling in and letting the waves push us to shore. And I'll never forget, like, at right when we got, like, about 10 feet from the beach, he just, like, threw the board with me on it towards the beach, and I just, like, fell face first onto the beach, like, completely exhausted. And he basically, he saved my life. That guy literally saved my life. So what's the lesson there? He, that he was. I guess it's, maybe it's the same as mine. Like, let's just trust our lives with really hot guys. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've imparted many lessons today. <laughs> as we discussed, storytelling is a great tool to have. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. Thank you. 